listeners, this is Marcia Epstein with Talk With Me in Lawrence, Kansas. And it's almost December. It's the last day of November. And the sky is beautifully blue and some confused spring flowers are blooming, including dandelions out where I like to go walk in fields. Interesting thing for this time of year. And there's so much going on in the world that this is one of those show times when we get to say, let's make sure we pay attention to the goodness in the world and that we are part of the goodness in the world. And that part of being the goodness is also taking good care of ourselves. So this is going to be a different show than than many. I'm not going to be talking to one of those fabulous underground poets and publishers and those kinds of people, those type of artists who I often talk to. I'm going to be talking with a different kind of an artist who is also a writer, who is also a speaker, who also does lots of things and is a very special person to me, someone I cross paths with. And sometimes I think of it in another lifetime. And it's also the same lifetime um, long ago when, uh, We were both part of this same crisis center in Lawrence, Kansas, Headquarters Counseling Center. Anyway, we're going to catch up with my friend and hopefully your new friend, Trina Shorts. Hey, Trina, how are you? Hey, Marcia. It's good to talk to you. Good to connect with you again. Yes, it's so good. And these days you are in Florida, right? Yes, Sarasota. It's probably not much different in temperature right now there than it is here because it's so warm here. <laughs> well, I think today it's supposed to be 82. I don't know. Okay, well, you got us beat. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. So before we start into the, the real conversation of the Talk With Me Hour, tell people a little bit about some of the things that are in your life in terms of skills that you have, ways that you share goodness in the world, because there are a lot of those. Oh, let's see. Um, well, I am a motivational speaker, uh, workshop leader. Um, I also um, been a sign language interpreter for the past 23 years. And all of the work that I do seems to evolve around communication, uh-huh. um, being able to connect to other people. And I enjoy that because uh-huh. in order for us to be present, we have to be able to communicate our thoughts. And, bef- and, bef- and in order to communicate our thoughts, we have to get rid of the roadblocks that, that hold us captive, that hijack us and not allow uh-huh. us to express ourselves. Uh-huh. There's so much that within each of us that, that we have that we can give to the world that oftentimes we don't think we're enough or we don't have what it takes. And if we can get rid of that stuff out, either splattered on words on pages or painted across the canvas or sung uh, in a song, any way to get it out there uh-huh. leaves us, opens us up and let, yes. us see, and let us see the true beauty that lies within all of us because we have so much to offer we can just get out of that hijacked mode. Uh-huh. And and some of what you do is through movement, right? Through yoga instruction and some of it yes, is Yes, I am. Through- yeah, I'm a yoga instructor too. So well, how do you can express yourself? And mm-hmm. um, I think that's very vital. Mm-hmm. You can't 
can't move forward without expression. So mm-hmm. find a way to express yourself. And I say, do it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, and I'm always reminded that it's never too late to try something new and different. And most anything I've ever tried that was new or different at whatever point in my life felt rather awkward at the beginning. And then you get better. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you just brought up it. We just talked about express yourself. And uh, I owned a coffee shop back in from 2000, 2005, when I was in uh, Baldwin, Kansas at that time. Uh-huh. And we had it spelled express yourself and how many people yes. come in there. And they said, um, I had to tell you this, but you, you spelled that wrong. <laughs> I said, no, <laughs> it's spelled right. But even yeah. back then I was talking about expressing yourself. So uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's cool. That's funny. That's really funny. And and I'm such a huge believer in connection, the power of people knowing that they belong, you know, and that they are valued in whatever communities, however we define that, you know. We we need to feel it for ourselves for sure. We need to we need to know in our hearts that we are valuable, you know, but also it's it's nice to see that reflected in other people. And sometimes that's yeah. the way we, we start remembering that, oh, that is true. That is my truth. I am a good person. I do have yeah, and you are valuable. Yeah. yeah. We yeah. Ha- when I had the coffee shop, we'd bring people in. And one of my favorite, all-time favorite things to do was to introduce two people. There was two of them standing at the counter to each other. Mm-hmm. And I would tell each person what, you know, to introduce the other one, what they did. Mm-hmm. And, if, and most of the time I knew where they lived. And those two people will go, oh, my God, you know, I was looking for a lawyer or I was looking for a plumber. And uh-huh. then it wouldn't be that much longer. And they'd be sitting at the table talking uh-huh. and friendships were made over a cup of coffee. And yeah. that to me brought so much joy in my life. So I'm always talking about how can we express ourselves in one way, shape or another to connect people to people, because this world takes a village. It's not just doing a solo act, you yeah. know, connecting yeah. people to people. Yeah. And and when you mentioned the world, will you tell a little bit about some of your experiences in other parts of the world? Because clearly that also informs who you are. And, and it's, it's a way to learn some things about ourselves is to notice things that we actually are accustomed to doing and thinking about differently that we've so taken for granted that we don't even realize that that's an assumption we have until we see a different culture. That's like, that's not how they look at it. You know, tell right. us a little bit about, because you've been out of the, the United States a lot. Yeah. I, I love to travel. And I think um, there was a quote, I wish I could remember it verbatim, but it's, um, that if you don't travel, you've only read the first page. Oh. And it's, it's so true. Um, it's so true because um, so many people, they uh, they only see the world through the lens of their own glasses. When if you could take those glasses off, and even if your vision is blurred, you're not so focused on one thing or something that you see. But you allow yourself to open up to see so much more. Um, it's kind of like when we you know, wear earplugs, you know, Uh, then we can actually open our vision up 
even further because every time you take away a sense, other senses, other senses become more acute. So it's when we travel to another country and we, we connect with other people from different cultures and different backgrounds and speaking different languages, we open our world up to so much more. Um, I had the chance to uh, go to Indonesia about five years ago. I was um, saying I was really over my job. And I'll, I'm going to take a little um, break here for an advertisement towards my book. Uh, I've just written a book uh, called When the Shoe Doesn't Fit. It's how to thrive and survive in a world that feels out of balance. The world and, feels so out of balance right now. This is so needed, Karina. <laughs> I, know, I know, right? Yeah. Um, Every so day. So I, I, uh, about five years ago, I kept telling myself, well, no, now it's been about, oh my gosh, now it's almost been eight years ago. I was telling myself I need to, I need to do something different because I was in a job where I was unhappy and I thought, you know, but it's the money. I need the money. And uh, if I quit, what am I going to do? And just so on and so forth. And one day I was standing out my front yard and this is all in my book. And I was standing out my front yard and I said, you know, I, I just can't do this anymore. And I thought I got an idea. <laughs> Facebook is a really good venue for keeping yourself accountable. <laughs> <laughs> so I stuck a for sale sign in my front yard around my whole house and I said this is going on the market wow. and if anyone is interested give me a call and I got so many messages on Facebook that said where are you going what are you doing why are you leaving you got a plan what's up I said I don't have a plan I don't know where I'm going and I don't know what I'm doing but if I don't <laughs> If I don't open up to the possibility of what else lies out there, I will never know what I'm able to do or what I'm capable of doing. Uh -huh. And I just, I said, I know one thing. I want to go to Florida for a month. I want to, I want to start writing. I want to start writing about challenging your fears. Uh -huh. And so I took off. I took, I just quit my job at that time. I quit my job. I went to Florida started riding. Uh, I'm, I'm on a bike and I'm kind of looking for a place that I can find to just sit down. I want to be next to the water, have beautiful, you know, be shaded so I'm not sitting directly in the sun. And I want a place to sit. I don't want to just sit in the grass. I want a place to sit like a, a bench. Mm -hmm. And as I wheeled around this, I, as I wheeled around, I come in, I come full focus into this um, street that was lined in canopy with moss-covered moss trees. And behind me was beautiful homes. In front of me was the ocean. And on, in front of that ocean was grass, a grassy mound with park benches. And I looked up and I started laughing because I asked for this. Uh-huh. And I so I started riding and I got up and I started riding my bike around the around following the path. And on the path was graffitied in chalk. I told you so. Wow. And it was in that moment I knew 
I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. It was that moment. Uh-huh. And it's like, oh, my God, this is so awesome. I've got yes. this full support of the universe back in me here. Uh-huh. So two weeks into them, I stay there. I get an email in my inbox. It's a job opportunity in Indonesia. And I thought, as is a sign language interpreting job, and I really don't, I don't want to focus on that right now. I really want to focus on my writing. And then there was this light bulb moment that went off and said, you've got to be kidding. You want to write a book about challenging your fears. And this, what, what, what better, what better time to do that than go to a country you've never been by yourself. Yeah. So I said, well, I'll apply, but the odds of me getting this job probably knowing none because uh, I just didn't think I was good enough to even be considered for the position. So I applied and and uh, hung up the phone. I thought, well, I did the best I could. And so funny because the whole conversation went like this, Trina, I don't know how you got this. How did you get this invitation? How did you get this job announcement? I said, well, I don't know. Seriously? Uh-huh. It was, well, I mean, I know it was passed by a colleague. He goes, well, mm-hmm. how did you, how did they get it? I said, I have no idea. He goes, that's so odd. I have never, ever given this to anyone in the Midwest. Only mm-hmm. been in the East or West Coast. Mm-hmm. And I've given it to people I know there in the East or West Coast. And I've never had anyone with your years of experience to apply. Usually they're fresh out of college when they're able to get up and go somewhere and here you're in your fifties and you know, <laughs> you know, I, I've never had anybody that's able to just up and go with some, basically we're saying my age. <laughs> so, okay. Well, there's another sign. And it, he goes, I'll get back with you. I've got lots of people I'm, I'm going to be, you know, interviewing. I'll get back with you. Three days later, he calls me up. He said, I'm not even interviewing anybody else. If you will take this position, I'd be totally honored. Cool. <laughs> I hung up the phone and started bawling. I said, wow. Yeah. I, I can't be any more supported than when I'm being supported now. So I did that. And uh, I'm standing in the street uh, talking to, well, taking a picture of this woman who's dressed in an hijab. And she's starting a fire in the middle of the street. And I was taking these pictures. And she turns around and she looks at me and she goes, why are you taking my picture? And I said, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I've never seen anyone in where I'm from. You can't just start a fire in the middle of the street. Uh-huh. That's against the law. And I just think this is fascinating that you're able to do this. And she said, well, I've got a whole bunch of these, they're wood boring worms that come in, that sometimes come into your home and they just eat up. They were eating up my cabinetry and they ate up all my books i have to get them out or they'll destroy my home um, so she ripped off the cabinet the books and everything she goes i've lost my english dictionaries they're all gone so she was burning all that up to get rid of them mm-hmm. and she goes i can't believe you're even talking to me and i said why and she says because americans don't like muslims and i said oh my and i grabbed my heart and i said i am so so sorry because that's not true and i'm sorry that the media has done this 
to your belief about Americans because not all Americans are like that. Mm-hmm. And she said, I feel so blessed to be standing here talking to you. And I said, I mm-hmm. feel blessed to be standing here talking to you because uh-huh. before I came, many people said, I cannot believe you're going to a country where 90% of the population is Muslim. I can't believe you would do that. Are you crazy? So we're going to kill you. And so I shared her, my story and she shared her story. Uh-huh. And we built the most amazing friendship. Uh-huh. And not just with her, but many other people while I was there. It was awesome to be able to break down the barriers of preconceived ideas built on media-given fear. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was an incredible experience. And that was the precipice of the beginning of the book that I wrote. And um, my book uh, basically talks, like I said, about how to live your life in your own shoes. Be your own cobbler. Do not um, allow someone else to try to get you to fit into shoes that are not yours. And um, so, you know, I talk about uh, how my life was never perfect, and yet it was so perfect. It given me a chance to crumble to ash. At times it was hard, and it was brutal. And I've learned that love can and does show up conditionally. I once thought it superseded everything. And it can, and it does, but not always. And sometimes it takes walking away and discovering who you are so you can give what you have. And it means living the life you were meant to live and not the one others have planned for you. Mm -hmm. That means learning how to thrive when the shoe doesn't fit. Beautiful. So... um, in that whole course of time, um, I enrolled in a, well, after I got back from Indonesia, I um, enrolled in a writer's workshop back in Bali, and I'd already visited Bali when I was there. I didn't really want to go, but this was a guaranteed thing that I'd write my first draft in 28 days. And so I thought, okay, so I took out part of my retirement, and I went back to Bali to write this thing. It was not anything that I thought it would be was more of an intervention, kind of a workshop. And we got to meet with writers, professional writers, maybe once every week. But we were just to vomit words on pages, and it didn't matter. We just said the four-letter word 50,000 times until something came out and made sense. But our goal was to write, I believe it was 20,000 words in 28 days. <laughs> and... Um, and then we did the intervention work to get rid of those roadblocks. One of the things I can say that came out of that was that I had a lot of anger towards my father, and it created a shift, a creative shift in me that I didn't even know was in there around poetry. And uh, that poetry that came out of there was a lot of anger poetry, you know, some just anger. Just mm-hmm. dark, dark poetry. And uh, if you want, I can read a piece of that. Sure. Okay. And and remind people who you are. 
Your Again, name my name is, is Trina Shards, mm-hmm. and uh, um, I'm from Lawrence, Kansas. Well, not originally. I'm from Western Kansas, about five hours to the southwest of Lawrence. But um, Lawrence has become my home. You know, has always been known of my a place I'm very, very fond of. Uh-huh. And uh, I always say I'm going back home when I go there, uh-huh. <laughs> even though I live in Florida. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so yes. Some of the poetry that erupted from this experience in this writing workshop in Bali, huh? Yeah. Before it came at 3 o'clock in the morning, I just started writing. All the stuff started coming out. It's like, oh, my God, where does this come from? I'm not even a poet. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, this first one is called Home. A childhood quake and a sought-after jailbreak. Oh, you're jumping the gun, you son of a gun. Get down from there or you'll fall ass over appetite. There are no pedestals here for you to stand on. Earaches and stomach aches of undigested drama, sexual jokes and fallacies, restless nights and nervous days. Rough and tough I was made to be. Can you see me? No, no, please don't look. Scare the dark and closed in spaces. Longing for love, but don't you touch me. Don't look at me. No, no, wait, wait. I want you to see me. Chicken doo-doo, cow patties, axle grease. Yes, axle grease. Dog food and pig pellets. Whose food? Your food, my grandfather joked. Shut the door. Were you born in a barn? Wake up. Rise and shine, my non-paid hired hands. My father has cracked his whip. Again, plow the field, wash the dishes, mop the floor, bale the hay. Now let's pray. Wow. Mm. And you're saying both the poetry, using poetry as a genre, writing, creating poetry as as that genre of writing, and the intensity of emotion about your father, both of those were, sounds like pretty buried and surprised you that they came out? Um, yeah, in this way. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I've been, I was writing and I was writing a lot uh-huh. about, you know, my experiences because my book is a series of essays, so to speak. And it's the stories that I told, that I tell about doing what it is that you, I mean, I constantly was doing my own thing and always felt like I was standing on an island all by myself because um, nobody else ventured to that island because mm-hmm. I grew up and my dad was a conformist. He constantly conformed to my grandfather's demands and my grandfather was, we lived on his land and his property and we abided by his rule. And that was my, my dad was my role model. And so was my grandfather. And I could not, to me, I didn't fit there. And so I was constantly trying to do things that were different to prove who I was outside of this conformist box and doing things on my own. And I always felt I was standing 
alone somewhere. And when somebody said, you can't, it can't be done, I proved to them that it could. Wow. And it wasn't until um, it, I, the door opened when I was 14, and my uncle, who was a priest at the Catholic school in Hayes, Kansas, told me, or told my father, which was his brother, you come, have her come and go to school there at the Catholic school there and let her have an education outside of that. Well, my father, he, I'm telling you, he lived on a wing and a net and he was sending his, he's sending his daughter to, to live in another town, boarding, paying for boarding expenses, food and schooling at a private school. He got, me through and got my brother partway through and that was all he could do. Mm -hmm. And I was the one blessed to be able to do that. And guilt followed that too, because, you know, the rest of the siblings didn't get out of that atmosphere. They had to, they forego the whole journey Mm -hmm. there at home. And I, I uh, felt I got an escape ticket. And uh, so that's where my journey of being open to do whatever I wanted started. And uh, things changed after that. So uh, a lot changed after that. (laughs) And keeps changing after that, right? (laughs) Yeah, it keeps changing. Um, it keeps changing. Although I, I'm finding the more I have practiced doing what I feel I'm called to do, which is, I think is that's the key. When we get that junk out of the way and we can express our thoughts and our feelings, the more we can live in our true self, you know, our true nature. And we don't have to spend all this time trying to prove who we're not mm-hmm. because we're standing to who we really are. And um, so I don't feel this getting this book out, I think what's most important to me is letting other people know that you don't have to live in someone else's shoes. You can be your own person. And yeah, you are going to feel like you're standing on an island alone. As long as you're grasping to the past to define who you are, you're always going to feel like you're standing on an island by yourself. But if you let that go, and connect to those that can help guide you on your journey in the direction that you're headed, you will never be alone. But it took me a long time to do that because I always felt like I was leaving people stranded Mm. while I had the ticket. And, And as I think about the stories of your experience that you've shared so far, I'm thinking there, the, the way you described it, there was this huge um, sort of, I don't know how to describe it, but somehow you knew it was time for you to leave Kansas, um, you'd leave your home, leave the job that you had been doing in Kansas. Somehow you knew that. Do you, do you have, like when you reflect back at that time, do you have the sense of there were certain experiences, people, whatever, that helped you be able to do that or that sort of allowed that to percolate up to your awareness so you had the courage to do it? You know, can, can you say anything about that? Well, 
there was lots of times that I had challenged those. Like, um, I mean, I was just came out as an interpreter, and uh, I mean, there's there's a whole there's a lot of other things. It's so funny. I said came out as an interpreter. That's so funny. Yes, <laughs> yes I was thinking that too. But I'll let you I comment know, on that. Right? Was like, wow, that's kind of interesting. I don't even know how that came out like. That. <laughs> But, um, I mean, uh, wow, there's, there's so much in the book that you need to read. <laughs> this is the teaser. What is she referencing? I don't know, yeah, but I'll so, find out when I read the book. <laughs> read the book because there's, there's a lot of events that took place in, in where that got me to that point. Uh-huh. That was just another stepping stone. Every time I felt, I think most of the time I've lived my life being uncomfortable and I did it on purpose. And the reason why is because I felt like if I was uncomfortable, then it was always making me strive for what's next. But when I found myself becoming really comfortable, then it was almost like the universe stepped in and said, Oh, here, try this. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I didn't have the control and yeah, that's a control issue. I realize I have dealt over the years with a lot of wanting to be in control. Mm-hmm. And what I wanted to do was challenge that concept of having to be in control because it's such a huge misconception. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as that we're in control. We think we are. We have this big <laughs> false belief that we are. But in any one given moment, that control is taken, can be taken away from us. Mm-hmm. So um, I always tried to live my life being a little uncomfortable. So if something came up, like when my car was stolen and I was like, oh, well, I guess somebody else needed it. I wasn't so freaked out, upset, getting angry. I just kind of go, okay, this was meant to be, you know, it's okay. Somebody else obviously needed it more than I did. And people were going, what are you talking about? Why aren't you mad? How come you're not getting angry? And, uh, so I kept trying to do that so I wouldn't be angry, so I wouldn't get upset, so I could lose that idea that I had the control. And all these things that I keep practicing, it's a lifelong journey. Because if we weren't continually growing, we'd be dead. What would be our purpose here? Right. Right? So there, Indonesia was just an... I had gotten really comfortable in those five years and I knew that I felt that and I knew there were things that needed to change, but I was gotten so comfortable that then I knew it was going to take a lot more for me to jump over that hurdle. Mm-hmm. Um, and Indonesia was huge and I knew it needed to be huge. Mm-hmm. So, um, cool. I think if you just do it in increments where it's not so big, <laughs> it makes a big difference. <laughs> and, and tell us about you and writing, Trina, that you know, I, I, I don't know in the time, gosh, when I think back to, to when you and I met, um, I don't remember being aware that you were a writer. And I'm wondering about you and writing, like, tell us about that part of your life. When did that start and sort of how did that start? Well, you know, I don't ever feel like I was a writer. And I never felt like I was good at English. And, uh, 
And that's, I know, we're our own, our own worst critics, but the editors can probably tell you that I've had look at my stuff like, uh, you have run on sentences. Um, you don't know when to use your and you are. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, what am I doing? And then I step in and I want to sabotage my process before I even get started. And um, then I kept, was being reminded that you don't have to be good at writing. You just have to have an editor that helps you continue through the process what your goal is to get it down on paper that's your goal uh-huh. and i encourage that to all anyone who's wanting to write a book and i totally have compassion now for people who say they've written a book but it's never been published mm-hmm. it takes a lot of courage it takes a lot of dedication a lot of loyalty to your work and um, perseverance. You cannot, you cannot um, finish a book and publish it if you don't have all those aspects in your belt somewhere. Because mm-hmm. this, this is, this is hard. And yeah. the emotions that go through the writing—it's like artists who paint on canvas. Is it for sale? No, it's not for sale. It's like, you know what it took to get all that on that canvas. You know what it took. To write a poem, do you know what it took to write a book? If you don't do that yourself, if you don't write a book or paint a picture or sing a song, whatever, if you don't do any of that, you never know what it takes. Mm-hmm. And so I, I truly understand why somebody said, I wrote a book or I'm writing a book and it never gets published. Mm-hmm. There are probably a gazillion, gazillion books that we've never seen that are probably, oh my God, number one bestsellers. But we'll never see him. Mm-hmm. Takes a lot of courage. And I, I think there's a difference for me when I ask about your writing. There's a difference between writing because I want to put this book out in the world and writing, you know, for other reasons. Um, and there's certainly mm-hmm. a big difference between writing something worthy of other people reading it and finding a way to get that out into the world. You know, those are, those are different things. So writing in general, like, because I think about for me, I love opportunities to interact with people. And I cannot imagine trying to put that into a book that, that doesn't and I'm not saying I don't think I could. I don't have the the burning desire to do that. Um, and and I have a lot of admiration for people who do, but I don't see that as something that I want to be doing at this point. It's not something that I have really longed to do. It's it's not something that I thought, well, I couldn't do. It's just like, it's not really kind of my personal way at this point. Maybe it will be at some future point, but it's not now. Yet I know that writing is a creative art. And I love that you that you keep reminding people that writing is art, painting is art, you know, movement is art. There's so many different kinds of art we can create. So what yeah. what what got you to writing, not just writing a book, but writing? Um I don't know. It was a challenge, right? Like I said, I'm constantly challenging myself to step out of the box. And there were things inside of me that I kept feeling that these things will never, because they're in there and they're causing a lot of pain. I mean, every time we have an experience in our life and it's not a good experience in our eyes, it's not good, even though 
it lends itself to a lot of beauty. Mm -hmm. But if we don't tap into that, if we don't connect to it, and if we don't own it, then we can't possibly express it. And if we don't express it, it's, it's toxic. And those toxins, oh my gosh, they just, they breed anger, they breed fear, they breed um, being hijacked. You can't go anywhere. You can't do anything. And it comes out in your speech. It comes out in what you, how you connect with others. It comes out in your ability to do your work or to do menial tasks, which they become menial because we can't be present to them. And we can become present to them. We get all this junk out of the way. Um, I moved into a Buddhist temple and lived there for about five months. And the stuff that I learned in that temple was unbelievably amazing that I used to hate ironing or chopping vegetables. <laughs> or, but you know, when you can be in that moment and you can yes. say, I am dedicating this practice of chopping yes. vegetables that yes. all beans get the opportunity to eat a healthy meal or that all beings have the opportunity to wear clothes, Mm -hmm. you know, to, to feel safe because they've got some clothes on, whatever. If I can dedicate every little thing I do to something, then it's not menial. Then it's a part of a much bigger picture. And that's what I want to represent. I want to represent the ability that if we can connect to what holds us captive, own it, express it, and then get it out of the way so that we can be of true service to others and not be dragging luggage behind us. And I know for me, I projected that onto everyone I met. And then no one really wanted to stand in my presence. Why would you? I wouldn't, you know. But to be able to recognize everyone has that fear, mm-hmm. you know. I, everyone I guess has what that. I'm we're reacting to is I don't remember ever experiencing you as a negative kind of a person that I wouldn't want to be around. Huh? <laughs> well, that's nice. <laughs> I mean, the nice. I think I had an underlying agenda in everything. I'm not saying that I, I don't to some degree, but it sure has lessened a lot. And it feels refreshing, uh-huh. you know, it feels refreshing to be present to you too. Uh-huh. So I think your stories are wonderful inspiration for people. I know for me, I learn a lot through stories as opposed to, you know, somebody giving me a set of facts that say, you know, we have studied this phenomenon, and if you do this thing, then this is what the result will be. It's like, you lost me with all those numbers. But when I hear somebody's real story, their, their true experience, I, I can understand it. I can make meaning of it, and I can feel inspired by it. So I, I'm really appreciative of, of what this book sounds like. Uh, and I hope that, that listeners are as they're, they're hearing you talk about this. and and. It's it's interesting the title when the shoe doesn't fit. There's so many different kind of messages about that. You know, we think about 
well, why would you have shoes that don't fit? You know, you know, there, there are just lots of tangents and in different ways, I'm sure those come out in the essays of the book and, and hopefully get people thinking about their own possibilities and, and their own abilities to change where they want to change. Yeah. I, um, my editors also helps with publishing the book too, getting it published. And she said to me, she goes, you know, go out and find some sort of a symbol or something and find a shoe as a keychain or whatever and give that away. And uh, so I got these shoe keychains and they're high heel pumps. And which is, <laughs> if you see those, you see those, uh, that my book cover, I've sent that to you. And that's what's on the front of the book. And I give these to some people and uh, some people will say, some women will say, I don't wear, I, I love high heel pumps. And I said, great, then you're in the right shoes. And I get the next person, well, you don't have a tennis shoe or a boot. And I said, that's right. Do not be caught in these shoes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a metaphor, you know, don't wear shoes that don't fit, you know, and uh-huh. it can be a metaphor and it can also be, I mean, how many times do we actually wear shoes that don't fit because we think we look good in them or whatever? So. Or maybe they used to fit and they don't fit anymore. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I look like Whoopi Goldberg walking around in a pair of pumps. <laughs> uh, I love that woman. So. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um. So I'd like to, I, I got another couple pieces I, I'd i like to, um, the poems that I wrote and that I can read out of here. Wonderful. And, uh, okay. Um, the other one is, like I said, this is a lot of anger coming out, but uh, in this next piece too, uh, but necessary, I believe, because what's happened since then is, I feel so much more at peace. And I went home for the holidays this this last Thanksgiving. And um, it was the most beautiful family gathering I've ever had. And I came back and I was telling people here and they said, you know, it's not everyone else who's changed. It's your perception of everyone else that's changed. And I said, isn't it possible? <laughs> that they've changed too. But you know, when you, you both got an end of the rope and you're both pulling on it, whomever that other person may be, then all you're going to be doing is standing in a defense mode trying to protect yourself. And um, when you let go, then there's nothing for the other person to argument or argue with you about. Mm-hmm. There's nothing to, there's nothing, there's, there's no defense on their end that's needed because you're not defending whatever it is that you are trying to defend, mm-hmm. but seeing through their eyes and asking questions about their life and being interested in what's going on in their life. Because we can, I can only see your stage, Martha, but I have no idea what's going on backstage. I don't. Because you only let me see what you want me to see. Mm-hmm. And if I can just bear witness to that, um, makes it makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. Okay, so 
This one's called You Don't Know Me. <laughs> Forrest Gump and Donald Trump are no mystery to the irregularity of a box of mixed chocolates. Believe me when I say I'm the one you have been waiting for. Liar, liar, pants on fire. You convince me of my false identity using confection to toy with me. The Constitution runs over on hand-selected promises of sugar and spice and all that's nice. What the fuck ever. Give me your battered and your buttered and your tired and your shuddered, and I will put you in a box, divided in the counter for and make you think you know who you are. Once bitten, twice shy, you wild e super fucking listic XB asshole docious. Yes, it's me. I'm back. You think you got rid of me? I will forever be here. You can run, but you can't hide. I am your buffalo hide. I'm the mobile in your trailer park. I'm the butt of your cigarette. I'm the halitosis and your hypnosis. I am your fat and your sagging breast. I'm your craving and your desire. I'm your suckling pig and your veal parmesan. I'm the violence of a beaten Jew and the black and blue hue of a busted eye. I am your sordid smell of gutter piss and the stolen ground of worn grit. I am your borrowed time and your punished crime. And I am your malnourished pet and the thoughts you think you can't forget. You think you are, you think they are not you. You don't know shit. You can't separate me from you. And you said anger came through in that poem, and yeah, it does. And and so, what what was that like when you kind of you you write this and then you read it and you reflect on what you've just written? What was that like for you? It was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, who is this? And it was funny because I said, whatever you just just write and don't stop. And that's mm-hmm. what I did. And all the other time was like, I write and I would try to correct my or edit my words or change the vocabulary, change the sentence structure or whatever. And this just go, it just went, it just went and went. And some of it didn't make any sense. And some of it doesn't make sense to the person who's listening to it. Um, but you can get the content of the message. I think and it the, has a lot of meaning and probably different meaning to any listener, to any reader but I think it has a lot of powerful meaning. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. for me, you know, there's a lot of things that I held judgment towards and a lot of those things. I mean, I wrote about some of that in that poem, things I held judgment against. And, and while I, all I'm doing is judging myself, all I'm doing, I'm just judging who I am. And I, and I judged every aspect of me. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, why would we judge another person if we didn't love, if we love ourselves, we would never do that. We'd never judge another human being. Well, I think, and I'm being very serious. I think that in this time, in this year, in this governance of the United States of America, all of the challenges that are coming out into the open about how people treat each other the leadership that that has promoted that and contributes to that. I do judge somebody more than I've ever judged anybody in my life. Um, so 
sometimes there's a different context. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I, I'm hearing you. Um, I'm hearing what you're saying, Marcia. Um, and you ever, you ever watch the movie The Shack? You ever, you ever, see, you ever see that? Um, well, it was a book, and then it became a movie. And uh, I, I watched it last night because I never watched the movie, but I did read the book. And um, I try to open myself up to knowing that whatever path someone's on, it's their path. It's not made for me to judge. And yes, there is a person who's leading our nation who um, there is a lot of commentary Mm -hmm. (laughs) that goes around how he's doing that. And I've had my own. I've had my own commentary. And I know that if I'm trying to, I'm trying to look at this way. If I only see what I see standing in front of me and what he allows others to see, but what goes on behind his stage, I cannot see. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to see behind the stage, even though I know his decisions are affecting millions. Um, And it's, it's an interesting challenge for me because I am that person who annoys other people by providing, not in the case of our, this president, but in other examples, I'm, you know, I'll, I'll just share a little story. I remember being at the Merck, the, the natural food grocer that's been around Lawrence the longest. It's really our community cooperative natural food grocer. I remember being in there one day and there was a guy who was trying to pay, was wanted his only purchase was a half gallon of milk or whatever it was, one, one item. And the lines were long and he was clearly feeling agitated and he was kind of looking around and, and he was waiting and he was feeling very impatient clearly. And, and he raised his voice and said he wanted to talk to a manager. He couldn't believe it was like this and blah, blah. And people in line kind of started talking, in line started kind of talking about him, you know, like what, what a jerk he was being, that kind of comment people make. And I, and I turned to the people that were closest to me and I said, you know, we have no idea what kind of a day that person has had and what is going on that really is what has him feeling so agitated and angry. And so maybe you know we can can kind of think about it that way and in that sense kind of forgive him for needing to act the way he is you know um yeah because it's 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 really you know you talk about how the guy at the coffee shop but can you take that and apply it to the person who's leading our nation you know we have to start with the people closest to us and see love and compassion in those Mm -hmm are closest to us and then gradually practice going one step further you know like to someone like you i know you you're you know we've got we have a history together and so i can use you as my next step and then use somebody i don't know quite as well and then just keep stepping past that boundary line to extend it even further to where it extends to all living beings Mm -hmm. and I think that in itself takes a lifelong practice, especially when it's people 
who I'm really against their methods mm-hmm. of expression mm-hmm. that affect so many. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's the hardest thing. I mean, think about someone who has forgiven someone who's killed their son or their daughter. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think those people are saints because I don't know how you, I don't know how you can do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I want to be able to be that kind of a person, mm-hmm. but that's a true act of forgiveness and compassion for another human being. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know, Martha, I hear you, but at the same time, I hear you. <laughs> it, 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 it's not, it's not easy. This is not an easy time. This is that, you know, I think that's my experience is that in my life, which is a lot of years at this point, I have not had a sense of the world being so openly in chaos as it is at this time. But a lot of good is coming out of this too. There are people stepping up that have never stepped up before Mm -hmm. that have, you know, that I've always said, well, our country's leader will take care of that. You know, our country's leader will take it. Well, when are you stepping up? Because you're mm-hmm. part of this country and you and you are part of the village mm-hmm. and you have a responsibility too. And it wasn't until our country's leader came into this, to this position, did all of this start to transcend to, to the individual villagers coming forward mm-hmm. and saying, I'm going to make a difference. I want to make a difference. It's time. Mm-hmm. And I think no other leader could have prompted such an act of movement in the direction where everyone comes together and works to make a difference. I also think it was people coming together that got this person elected. And I realize it wasn't by popular vote, but I'm just saying, I, I don't. You know, when I talk to people, and I, I don't want to stay on this tangent, but <laughs> but um, when I talk to people about what I see in the world, I don't say we're suddenly a more racist country. I say it's now more okay for people to be open about their hate than it was a year and a half ago. It's not that it didn't exist before. No. Yeah, I so think there, there is. I think the, I think the table has opened up to a myriad of dishes that weren't available before. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah. so when you described your book, I'm looking at the book cover. This is why I'm asking this question. When you when you described your book early on in the show, you 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 stated the title is "When the Shoe Doesn't Fit," but you also gave kind of a subtitle that had to do with, with challenging times or something like that. Is that is thriving that, and surviving? Well, there's, it's, it's I, I want to go be your own cobbler. That's what I'd like to have the subtitle be. Um, we're kind of batting that around either that or how to thrive and survive in a world where it feels out of balance. So. I like that direct statement about the world feeling out of balance personally. Yeah. And the continuation of the, the, image of the shoe. Yeah. I think that's a really compelling, I think, I think in this world where, you know, and obviously I'm saying I, I relate to that. I, that's the way I experience the, the world right now. Um, and I've used similar terms thinking that, okay, we're, we're, 
So, so I, I'm just putting in my vote, not that I really get one, for, for using that kind of a phrase to let people know this isn't just, a, I don't want to, I don't like the word just. Your book isn't a self-help book for the, for the purpose of do these things and you'll feel better about yourself. It's saying, do these things, be the best person you can be out in the world with every person, every being, you know, that you, you need to fuel yourself to be able to do that. You need to work through some, pass some roadblocks to do that. But it's not, the, the, be, the, the overall benefit of, of people using your book as a tool isn't just so they feel better about themselves. It's, it's to get us all being better out in the world, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. To feeling good about who they are. Yes. That's, that's the purpose, to feel good about who you are so that you can, you can contribute in a, in, a, in a coming from a place that's not driven by fear or based on obligation or duty or guilt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, but to me, and this, this is interesting because it parallels a conversation I'm having with uh, my younger son who's applying for graduate school. He wants to, to um, he's, he's always, as he's part of who he is as a person is very socially, social justice conscious aware and, Sort of how he can have, can help bring goodness out in the world, and and you know, I'm not going to speak in detail about what things he's interested in in that, but but he has decided that a way that he could be more effective, have more influence, um, encouraging more good things in the world is by becoming a professor at the university level, and so he's working on his grad school applications, which include personal statements, and he and he I was really pleased that and you know felt really honored that he shared a draft of, of a personal statement uh, that he was um, preparing for one of the universities he's applying to and there are certain things that need to go into it the ending of the of the uh, statement was that he wanted to become a professor um, and I said for me you know I don't know I, I'm not saying I know what the university screeners are looking for, but for me, this would be, this is a, what you have written up is, is very wonderful about who you are and, and why you want to go to this particular institution and, and your dedication to learning and your ability to, you know, to be able to, to be an asset in this graduate program. All that stuff is really great and strong and very personal. And I love it. And I would think for me as a reader, knowing what impact you hope to have as a professor would strengthen this even more, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And similarly for me, when I think about what you said about your book, for me, it always gets back to what helps us be better in the world because the world needs all the goodness, you know? And, And we don't have enough of that openly, even though we have a lot of it. But to tip the, the balance back in that direction, we need more of us doing those big and small things you know, that, that, that build connection and belonging and value for all beings, you know, not just those few closest to us and ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, I just say, say yes. Say yes to everything. To, to know more of what you don't 
more of who you're not and more of who you are. Uh-huh. So just say yes. Yes. And yes. speaking of saying yes, I say yes, people. We want you to not only have listened to this show, but we hope that you'll be looking for this book called When the Shoe Doesn't Fit by Trina Schartz. Um, the expectation is for it to be available first in ebook format and then in print sometime around the December 2017 holidays and early 2018 for the print version. So look for this. Trina's last name is S-C-H-A-R-T-Z. You can find her on all the social medias if you just look a little bit. Um, and you'll find some clues to how to do that in the post on iTunes and on Google Play and on the Talk With Me page on Facebook. So do that thing. Trina, thank you so much for this you very are welcome. real conversation. Yeah. I enjoyed this conversation with you immensely. I always <laughs> do. I love uh, connecting with you. You're doing great thank things. You. Thank you. And, uh, and I want to give a shout out to Daniel Smith, who produces the show because he lets people hear it. Yay. <laughs> Yay, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Trina. And thank you, listeners, for being with us today. And so long. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye.